0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Season 1 of the Silmarillion Film Project. Uh, we are excited to get going now, having accomplished Season 0, where we go through and, and sort of lay out the groundwork and figure out where we're headed. Now we're excited to actually, you know, roll up our sleeves and dig in here to Season 1. Uh, uh, this is Cory Olson, the Tolkien Professor, and I'm here with uh, with Trish Lambert this morning as you can tell by the fact that i'm here doing the intro instead of dave kale dave is unavailable uh he was last seen somewhere in the australian outback and assures us he's <laughs> fine uh but uh anyway we have uh, sadly he can't be uh with us here today uh we expect him back for the next show And I'm sure he will be more than delighted to live with all of the decisions that we've made in his absence. So,
1: Of course he will. He's such an easygoing guy.
0: That's right. So today, um, today is a big episode. Today we're going to be planning out all of season one. So now our goal... Or rather, our challenge, I should say, is not to allow ourselves to become too deeply involved in planning out in detail any one particular episode, especially episode one. That's going to be a particular temptation, I believe. But uh, we have so which means, of course, that for all of you. And again, I know that many, many people have many ideas about the Ida and what we should do. We are so close to being able actually to discuss the i know and and what we're going to do but today is still not that day yet um instead w- what we need to be doing is looking at the overview so we've got 13 episodes and we're going to map out how we are going to um uh uh to shape the season to shape the 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 sort of the 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 story of season 1 um and the next place we're going to go after this next episode, just looking forward so we can be anticipating, the next episode is when we're going to do our casting episode. So one of the things that we need to be doing, of course, uh in today's show is to be keeping a list of all of the characters who are actually going to appear in season one so that next week we can pre- be prepared to do casting for them. And I can give you a little hint in advance, of course, your homework for next week is going to be... Uh, uh, coming up with nominees for whom we are going to cast for, uh, which of, of our characters. So, um, and then after that, after we do the casting, then we're gonna go through and we're gonna talk script. And that is when, indeed, episode three of season one is when all of your dreams will come true and we will finally decide about the Aina Lindale and how we're going to do episode one. And then we'll move on through episode 13 after we do all th- 13 episodes. Then we will turn and we will have a, a, a series of episodes where we go back and we do sort of larger questions. So we will look at uh, settings and props and costume design and music and all of those things. So we will have special episodes where we... But uh, one of the goals there is to give, um, you know, to do that after we do the plot discussions, you know, the, uh, the, the scripting discussions all the way through, so that you know, people who are coming up with, uh, concept art and, and, uh, and music and things have, uh, that time, uh, to both know exactly what we're dealing with and to, to be making suggestions. And we can be, uh, going through, uh, some of the suggestions and, uh, nominations of people there too. So that will be, um, that will be a lot of fun. Okay. So today we need to sort out, uh, exactly what we're what we're going to be doing episode by episode but first um i wanted to do uh, uh brief announcements like i generally do uh when we are about to just before we start to get going and i lose track of all sense of time and space um <laughs> i'd like to do some brief announcements uh the biggest announcements of course um are that the mythgard fall classes are just about to begin i am super excited about the fall classes that we have this term um this semester we have 3 classes being offered, and they are all of them really awesome. The uh, the the first class um, is Amy Sturgis's Star Wars class, so it is her it is her class on the entire not only the whole Star Wars uh, film series, and of course thinking also towards the new film that's coming out, but um, but think about the whole Star Wars universe universe, and indeed the whole Star Wars phenomenon. Um, and uh, if you've never taken a course with Amy Sturgis, uh, you absolutely should. If you are a Star Wars fan and have never taken a class with Amy Sturgis, you owe it to yourself uh, to get a sense of what that's like. Um, she is absolutely wonderful at giving the sort of intellectual and cultural background of a movement she will help you to sort of contextualize and understand star wars where it came from how it fits um how it fits in several different ways within the science fiction tradition within the film tradition she she will do uh um she does amazing things um in in, in with with that kind of stuff it's just fantastic so um that's um uh, that's... Uh, that's class number one. Class number two is Tolkien's Wars and Middle-Earth with John Garth. Uh, if any of you have, have read, uh, uh, Tolkien and the Great War by John Garth, a marvelous book, one of the, uh, one of the finest pieces of Tolkien scholarship to come out in the last decade. Um, uh, if you've, if, if, if you've read it, you know what I am talking about. It is just, it is a, a deeply moving and, uh, and, and really engaging view of Tolkien's Time in World War One, leading up to World War One, and 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 the way that he goes through and shows uh, how you know what Tolkien was writing at the time and how that whole period of time from his you know his, his graduation from his uh, his school in Birmingham and to you know through his undergraduate time at Oxford and then off through his service in the Great War and uh, his convalescence after that and of course his relationship with his very close friends uh in that uh group that they called the TCBS uh and of course the death of half of its members uh in at the battle of the Somme World War 1 um and how that impacted Tolkien and I just absolutely love how he goes through and does really thoughtful and careful reading of for instance the poetry that Tolkien was writing at the time like while he was in these camps with the army and um uh, and, and then going through to see how Tolkien's mythology begins to sort of take form and to emerge during this period. It's just a, a really brilliant reading. Um, in the course that he's offering, John Garth is gonna be going, uh, more in depth, looking at, th- you know, going both before and after, um, uh, doing, uh, just a, a bunch of stuff that he's been working on since publishing the book. Um, so the course is gonna, is gonna offer sort of even more of that it's going to be really really great. So um so uh, this is the first time John Garth has ever offered a class with us at Mythgard so it's uh, it's it's a it's a really very exciting
1: really very cool opportunity, yeah
0: this. yes. Yeah, that's the one I know you were you're were planning to sit in on right Trish. Yeah, I'm yeah. going
1: to take that one for credit. I'm going to try auditing the other two. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um well the third I should say of course is uh the, the introduction to Anglo-Saxon this, of course, we've been looking forward to offering for a while. Um, you know, everybody knows that Tolkien loved Anglo-Saxon, you know, that Anglo-Saxon language and literature were just both incredibly influential, uh, for Tolkien's life and, uh, and his, uh, not only sort of the centerpiece of his scholarly work, but, uh, but really essential to his creative work as well. And, uh, a lot of people would, I know a lot of Tolkien fans who, you know, would love to have the chance to actually learn Anglo-Saxon. Well, this semester we're offering an intro to Anglo-Saxon. You'll get from zero to Beowulf in one semester, and okay. um, uh, and that Mike Drought, uh, marvelous teacher, uh, Anglo-Saxonist and Tolkien scholar, Mike Drought is uh, is the primary lecturer of that class. Um, you'll get to learn Anglo-Saxon in a, in a sort of a, 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 interactive supportive environment. And, uh, it'll be, it'll be, it's, it's, that's going to be a great introduction. So those are the three classes. And the sec- we're doing I, the this second term.
1: lecture I want to give a shout out to, because I've taken two yes. classes so far with Nelson. He was the secondary lecturer for both of Tom Shippey's courses, Philology and Beowulf. And he's really awesome. I've yeah. also, he's also been my preceptor and I, I can't, Say enough good stuff about Nelson he's so knowledgeable and so and great sense of humor and I think he's just going to be a great addition to the lecture you know the lecture part of the of the course
0: yeah yeah he's going to be doing he's going to be doing a lot of stuff there so no it 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 should be a lot of fun so uh the fall semester starts on august twenty fourth so we're coming up soon we're only about you know just over a week away from the from the beginning of classes but there's still there's still lots of time to sign up so um go to mythgard.org and click on current classes or you will see the classes advertised there across the across the banner at the top so uh uh definitely do definitely do check those out and spread the word about those uh, another thing that i wanted to uh mention briefly before we move on and that is uh we have a live event coming up soon um uh, this is especially for people who are in who live in the mid-atlantic region we're doing a special one-day conference at the university of maryland on saturday october 3rd um so this is a it's 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 just one day from like mid-morning until dinnertime on uh on october 3rd um it's uh uh it's very inexpensive there's only a ten dollar registration fee um, but it's going to be a really really fun it is called uh, the Mythgard Mid-Atlantic Speculative Fiction Symposium and uh, it's going to be a really nice informal time with a bunch of people presenting sort of papers and ideas for discussion it's not going to, you know, since it's just one day it's not going to be lots of like people reading really really long papers and, and you sitting through long paper after long paper, though those are very often fun um, uh, this uh Conference is going to be run a little bit differently because it's, because it's, it's, it's short, it's shorter because it's, you know, it's just the one day. So it will be more sort of short topics and, 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 and active discussion. Verlin Flieger is gonna be there. Um, you have probably heard the news clippings about the release of the story of Kullervo, uh, Tolkien's story of Kullervo, um, which was edited by Verlin Flieger. Um, she's gonna be there to talk about Kullervo, uh, and this, this new work, so if you want to actually meet her and maybe, uh, bring your copy of Kullervo for her to sign, I'm sure she would be willing to do that. Um, that's gonna be, um, so that's, uh, that's, uh, again October 3rd uh, another special guest that I have just recently discovered uh is going to be able to come is Carl Hostetter the uh, you know one of the the great Oh yay, that's great. Yeah yeah he's coming so he's he's you know one of the great experts in Tolkien's languages he's one of the uh one of the primary people who is currently editing all of Tolkien's linguistic papers um uh, and anyway, so he's, he's gonna be coming, he's gonna be, uh, uh, sort of, uh, interviewing, um, uh, Verlund Flieger for our, our primary thing, and so you get a chance to meet Carl Hostetter and Veron Flieger, and I'm gonna be there, and it's gonna be really cool, so. All this for, all this for, uh, for, you know, $10 on a Saturday down at the University of Maryland if you're around I and you can know. pop in. I so. I mean,
1: it's such a deal that we even have d from Alaska coming in
0: Yes, day. exactly. I, you know, I, I emailed d I'm like, d you realize this is supposed to be a regional event, right? You know, we weren't really planning for you to fly in from Alaska for this, but...
1: She's re- she's representing the Helcaraxa contingent. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um... Uh, anyway, yeah, uh, Leaf. I believe it's at the College Park campus. Um, the full details, you know, for things like if you want to, for, you know, find the registration link so that you can sign up, um, and everything. Again, if you go to org and go to Under the events. events tab, yes, you will see, yeah. uh, the link for this. And there is a, there is a, there's a full webpage there. So, um, anyway, so those are, those are the really exciting things that are coming up, um. In the Mythgard world. So let's start our discussion. I forgot
1: my pet project.
0: Oh, I did forget. I did forget your pet on. project. Oh, my goodness, I did. Okay. <laughs> let's not forget your pet project. Um, recently, uh, one, uh, well, here, let me see if I can. Actually, why don't you introduce it, and I'll find okay. it, and I'll, and I'll bring up the link.
1: So, um, there is a longtime friend of Mythgard named Joel Shepard, and those of you that play Lotro may know him better, uh, as Andang. And he has been uh, very, very active in the Lotro community in, in more ways than simply playing. I mean, he's the director of the Players Network Alliance and is the, uh, the, uh, our, our chief for Lotro Players News, which Pineleaf and I and uh, Andang and, and three others co-host on Saturday nights, which is a load of fun, by the way. If you ever don't have anything to do on a Saturday night, check it out. But he has wanted for a long time to do a lore series about, uh, you know, from a different angle. Of Tolkien's work. Rather than going book by book by book, let's look at Middle Earth and its history and aggregate material from all of Tolkien's writings, not just Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, but go into Unfinished Tales, go into Book of Lost Tales, you know, go into those things, using Lord of the Rings Online as the set for actors and locations. So he dreamed up this lore series um, that would be more geographically oriented, in other words, dealing with a place and its history, rather than people and the first episode has come out. Um, we have a... a, a and to, and Tolkien. <laughs> the Tolkien professor, Corey Olson, sorry, um, actually did a Tolkien chat with him. I mean, kind of at, at my light, light suggestion that he do this. Yeah, no, it was, great. Um, it was awesome. To, it talked to... Uh, Joel about the experience of doing this um, because it's an adaptation exercise and I think a lot and and I'm involved in it I I help a lot with some of the script writing and and the the, uh, quality assurance and then I also act in it I'm Pippin in this (laughs) (laughs) Um, and Pine Leaf is Frodo so we have a good time doing that but it's really what he's done is just really it's really an excellent work Um, the map love the map we love love the the map. map Um, and it's uh, our own Sparrow Alden, who's one of the uh, master students at Mythgard, is, is the lore researcher. Laura Burkholz has been involved in it. Uh, uh, Joel has pulled in a lot of the folks he knows from LOTRO, so we've got some really, really top-notch people uh, pl- helping with this, from scouting locations to writing scripts to doing research to acting, the whole bit. Um, and so the very first one is about the Shire, and the fun part is, and and actually you can give your impressions on this. It's it's telling the Shire story the way that a Hobbit would tell it.
0: Yeah, it's it's it's. I, I've been I was I've been really impressed. I'll put it again. I was really impressed by the uh, um, the both this the the brevity of it. I mean, they do it in in fourteen minutes, and the scope of it as well, and the way that it has been characterized that way. It's. It's the the entire history of the Shire from you know it's the what was going on there during the Arnorian Kingdom through the arrival of the 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 hobbits, an introduction to the you know sort of the different uh, races of hobbits and and uh, the story of the settling of the Shire all the way through the the Fourth Age basically. Right. Um, But I absolutely love how it just, it really does stick to like, this is really what hobbits would care about. My favorite part of the, of the video (laughs) is the synopsis of the Lord of the Rings, you know, where they're like, you know, so like Frodo went to Rivendell, then, uh after that, they got to Mount Doom. <laughs> it just, like, skips over absolutely everything else. Happened, and it's, then they yeah. It's like, a- anything that connects to basically anybody else, it's like, well, whatever. Anyway, the important thing is that Frodo and Sam got to Mount Doom and then they came back into the Shire. And then this really important stuff happened in the Shire. They spend like, four times as much time on the, sco- on the scouring of the Shire than right. they did on the entire quest for the ring, which strikes me as exactly how a Shire historian would tell that story totally. Um, totally. so anyway it's really cool that that this is you know it, it's a wonderful way to uh, it, it this is it, it's a really cool kind of teaching tool I mean if you know people who kind of would like to to get into uh, you know, sort of understanding some of the kind of background of Middle-earth uh, better, but, you know, uh, aren't sort of ready to, like, dig into the appendices and the history of Middle-earth se- series or anything. Uh, the Middle-earth lore uh, series is a really great way for them to start. So.
1: And then, you know, sort of pertinent to Simfilm film is during the Tolkien chat, which, by the way, is on iTunes and also up on the Mythgard site, Corey and, and Joel talked about this, and Joel shared some of the sort of adaptation issues and questions and challenges that he needed to kind of address in, you know, how do we present? What do we present? How do we present? What decisions got made? You know, how does he scout locations? All that kind of stuff. So it's a really interesting adjunct to this lore series. And this lore series is going to go on. I mean, I know he's planned out like two years. He's going to release them every three weeks and he's planned out like two years worth of episodes. So the next yeah. one is due out on the 24th of August and it's on Bree. So um, go to YouTube and search PVMP space andang, A-N-D-A-N-G, and um you'll find his, his, uh, his, his stream and then you can find the Middle Earth lore is one of the um like programs he's got, you know, in his, in his stream. So, uh, highly recommend it. It's, it's a great thing, but you know, especially pertinent to us because it's sort of in the same vein as what we're kind of contending with. And, and actually Corey asked him, are you going to be doing, you know, some Silmarillion stuff, and he goes, yeah, in fact, in the third episode, which is about the Blue Mountains, he does touch on Alley's creation of the dwarves, so right. we're already dipping into Silmarillion stuff.
0: Right. Cool, cool. We'll awesome. see how he
1: does it. I don't, I don't know I don't know if he's filmed that yet. We'll see how he does that within Lotro. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it will be interesting. It will be interesting. That's right, that's right. Okay. okay. Well, thank
1: you for giving my little project. No problem,
0: no problem. No, it's it's very cool. It's very cool. All right. Now let's talk about now. season one. Okay, so the first thing it seems to me to do is we need to make sure to, I want to, I, I want to first focus on the actual events and what we're going to be covering. So, um, I want to start off by making a list of, uh, of things that we will want to happen just to make sure we don't miss anything right um so you guys can all help me so those of you who are here live you're going to be you're going to be instrumental to this process here today um cuz I want your help in helping me make sure that I don't forget within our time frame that is within the time frame of from the indo Indole through the awakening of the elves and remember the goal here is I don't want uh, the elves are going to appear on screen, but maybe only like from a distance. Like I, you know, there's, there's going to be no scenes involving elves other than like maybe the final glimpse of them on the shores as the as you know as sort of the hook at the very end of the last of the finale episode of the season. So, um, so with that with those parameters in mind, all of the stuff um, in all of the Valar only stuff that comes before that. So okay, so we have uh, the the music obviously. Music of the Ainur. Now, I would subdivide. Uh, there's a reason I didn't just say the Ainulindale. Because the Ainulindale contains more than just the music. So by music of the Ainur, I mean the actual music with the three themes and the rebellion of Melkor in it and all that kind of stuff. Um, but that only goes through a part of the Ainulindale. After the music ends... And, uh, and Illuvitar addresses them, you know, mighty are the Ainur and mighty among them is Melkor and all that stuff. Um, a bunch of different things happen. So you remember what else happens after that. Exactly, Gabrielle. We have, uh, the vision, the vision of, the vision that is granted to the Valar to see their music, you know, behold, behold thy minstrelsy, right? That, 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 when they see what's gonna happen and then it's taken away, And they perceive darkness for the first time because they didn't have sight before, (laughs) which makes, which makes the visual depiction of the Eidolindolid kind of challenging. But, uh, but anyway, that's, that's not, that's not, that's not a problem for today. Um, we also have an introduction to the, uh, uh, some of the characters, like there's actual sort of character development that goes on. Um, uh, you know, so we've got Melkor in the void. We've got, uh, Manway and, uh, Ulmo, um, you know, forming their alliance in their discussion with, uh, with, uh, like the, the discussion that Ulmo has with Iluvitar about, uh, you know, the, the, the rain and the mist and the clouds and all those, all those things. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, Lee, definitely. Uh, if you want to participate questions here in the, if you, I, I can't see the chat room, uh, cause I can't possibly keep up with the chat room. I've tried that and I always fail. Um, so if, yeah, if you want to contribute, if you want to, uh, mention things that we should, uh, we should include, uh, here in the questions box and go to webinars is, is definitely where you should do that. Okay. So this is all still in, within the Ina windowway basically that we're that we're, that we're talking about. Um, yes, Gabrielle, excellent memory. I was just going to mention this because, of course, when we, when we go through the Vala Quinta, we're not going to do an episode on the Vallequinta, uh, exactly. Um, though actually I wanted to kind of, I wanted to kind of, uh, float an idea about that. But anyway, um, we're not gonna, we're not gonna dedicate an episode to, to doing what the Valaquenta does, which is just introducing things, but there are lots of stuff in there. Um, and Gabrielle points out one of the really cool ones. Um, Varda and Melkor. Um, I would like to depict that scene in which, uh, Melkor is drawn to Varda and she rejects him. Um so I I do think that that's a really important episode. It's only alluded to in the description of Varda in the Valaquenta. We never get it as part of the narrative of the Silmarillion. Um but I think it's a really cool uh moment in the sort of in the characterization of both of those characters. Um not that I want to make no. you, you know the Manwë Varda Melkor story into like a cheesy love triangle, but uh but like that element is there, <laughs> it seems shame not to talk about it. Sorry, Trish, go ahead. So
1: we're we're be, we're beyond the Ainulindale here, right? I mean, sort we... of,
0: not chronologically yet. Um, that okay. is, this is all still prior to the uh, descent into uh, Arda. Okay, Valar bound to Arda would I think come next. Um.
1: Okay. Now we're out of the I. Now industry.
0: we're out of the Lindale, Finally.
1: My my concern I just want to say I mean so I, I mean I kind of am thinking the Ianolindale would take place in in episode 1. Partly because it's it's going to be a challenge to portray and um and i also think we should probably have a 2 hour season i mean episode 1 because that's what you do when you launch a new series right you do like a 2 hour to set the stage and get everybody's interest um so i was just i just want to say that i mean yeah,
0: right I yeah probably well episode. we'll i mean I, I we'll see how this breaks down i mean i could imagine for instance splitting the music of the einor part and the non music part of the einolindale ah. into different episodes but but we'll see i mean there 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 are different ways we could do that Okay. Um, it, it's going to depend on how much material we have for the other 12 episodes basically. Um, uh, you know, to me. So,
1: And Phil, Philip actually points out that even before the music we had the creation of the Ainur from Iluvatar's thought. Right. I'm not sure that that's any more than maybe a sentence in the narration or something. But... Right.
0: Exactly. Yeah, exactly how we do that. Of course, um, you'll notice what we're not talking about yet is the frame. Um, and I, I definitely think that at the beginning the frame is going to have to take up some time at the beginning since the we don't want episode. yeah for the very first episode since we don't want to have a just a cheesy, you know. The, uh, Dave's objections against a sort of a cheesy. We start and finish each each episode with like somebody reading a book or telling a story, and it just have that kind of statically sitting there. Um, I, I mean, I agree with Dave's objections to that. And our our goals, as we decided in the uh, decisions we made in season zero, is to have a frame narrative which follows a character and actually has development and story, and which involves the stories of the Sil- you know so that the Silmarillion stories. As they're being narrated, are not merely, you know, the frame is not sort of passive in its involvement with those, um, but those stories come and are 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 impacting the uh, uh, the the story of of the narrative frame as well, and that we need some kind of 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 story to be unfolding during that time, and. We decided uh, in the last episode that season one would be primarily Aragorn, or entirely Aragorn. That we would be... Aragorn, young Aragorn in Rivendell would be the frame uh, of season one. So I want to come back and talk... We're not talking about that yet, because I want to come back... But I feel like we've got to map out the, the main episode storylines. But we do need to keep in mind, you know, sort of in the, in, in the backs of our minds, we do have that frame to plan here as well. And I definitely want to, I definitely want to be doing that. Um, so when we think about, like, exactly what's going to fall in episode one, especially episode one, I think there needs to be a, a decent amount of Aragorn so that we can well, get. Well,
1: that's a good point. So that's going to limit the amount of Einolindale we do exactly. portray actually exactly. in episode one. You know. So but trying again, to do, you know, trying to do the music and
0: the vision and music. all of the stuff that happens in the void outside. I mean, basically, all of the pre-Arda stuff Um, uh, actually, I guess I should add the actual creation of Arda, you know, eh, uh, let these things be, um, uh, yeah, I mean, if we, if we, if we go up to the, you know, if we were to try to go up to the actual descent into Arda in episode one, um, especially given that we, we want to do a bunch of Aragorn, that's going to be, um. Yeah, um, no, but
1: don't forget it's a two-hour episode, so... And yeah, the commercial yeah. is on a cable station with no commercials. So that's, that's just right. the way it's going to be. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> so
1: in the full two hours.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, now... Does everybody remember what happens when the uh, when the Valor descend into Arda?
1: They start making things, don't they? Yes. And Melkor yeah. tries to mess them up.
0: Yes, we have the... <clears throat> we have the shaping of Arda. Um we have the shaping of art. Um and Timothy I agree. We don't have to do everything chronologically. We can definitely do some jumping around and I actually would suggest that we do some jumping around. Um but I'm I'm kind of going through th- I'm I'm mentally going through things chronologically just to try to get the material together. <coughs> but um uh just to make sure that we're not forgetting things. And leaving stuff out. Um, this is not the sequence. This is certainly not an episode list. This is just a this is just a, a things happening list. Okay. Um, so the shaping of Arda. So they 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 come to art and they find that it's you know they've seen the vision and they go down into art expecting to see art like in the vision that they saw, and then they're like, hey, wait, it's not here. We have to make it. So they they realize they've got to shape it. So they start shaping. Arda, and this you know then leads to the springtime of Arda, um, when the <coughs> Valar set up their place. Um, I, I want to. I I'm going to spell it wrong. What's the name of the, no. the the place where they have their home in the middle of the world? I'm going. The thing I'm going to spell wrong. I need my book. I should have my book with me. That was an oversight. Yes. <coughs> Okay, let's see. Almarin, there it is. Yeah, I knew I was going to. Okay, in right. <clears throat> Almarin. Okay. Right. So they have they, their first dwell They make their first dwellings upon Almarin. Thank you. Yes, good. Uh, <clears throat> Gabrielle, we have the late arrival of Tokus. <clears throat> Chronologically, we're not quite there yet. The thing to remember. And this is an interesting thing, is according to chapter one of the Quenta, see we get two different versions of what happens at the beginning. We get the very overviewy description of what happens when they descend into Arda <clears throat> at the end of the Aina Lindele. You remember that's the part uh where it um, uh where where it talks about uh you know uh, let's see. Um, yes. Uh, Yet it is told among the Eldar that the Valar endeavored ever in spite of Melkor to rule the earth and to prepare it for the coming of the firstborn. And they built lands, and Melkor destroyed them. And in valleys they delved, and Melkor raised them up. Mountains they carved, and Melkor threw them down. Um, that's... Um, as I said, very wide view, kind of overview of what happens. We get a lot more details about their conflict with Melkor in chapter 1 of the Quintus Silmarillion of the beginning of days. And one of the elements here is that they descend into Arda and they establish Arda before Melkor ever descends into it. He comes in later. Um, and secretly after they get there. Um, so I think that's, uh, that's an interesting and important element. Um, because after, when they establish, uh, uh Almirin, they make the, uh, so they've sort of got the making of the two lamps. And, and with all of the focus, rightly so, on the two trees, uh, of, uh, of, of Valinor, um, the lamps Get kind of overlooked, but I don't think we can overlook uh, the lamps. Um, the two lamps. We should just just as a just a note here. Um, Iluin and Ormal are the names of the lamps. Uh, two L's in Iluin. Sorry. Um, okay, so we've got the making of the two lamps. One set in the north and one set in the south of the land. And Almarin. Is the home of the Valar, which is which sits in the middle. Um, so, um, okay, yeah, Gabrielle, we do have the late arrival of Tolkas, um, but the late arrival of Tolkas is actually connected, it seems, to the late arrival of Melkor. Um, Tolkas does not come right away, but anyway, okay. So we, yeah, let's have uh, you know, so Tolkas's arrival. Um, he does come before. Yeah, uh, he he does he does get to Middle Earth before uh, Melkor does, or sort of at the same time, um, because it is uh, it is at his w- it is his wedding ceremony that's screwed up by Melkor. Um, okay, his uh, marriage to Nessa. Um, now Melkor sneaks in and establishes. Utumno in the north. Um, that's, again, that's, that's, uh, a very interestingly described, he's, you know, a beyond the, the, the light of, of, of the lamp in the north, he comes in and they don't see him arriving and he establishes Utumno secretly and they don't know he's there. And only after his arrival does corruption begin to come through the land. They find things starting to rot and plants becoming um, poisonous and leprous and uh, uh, beasts becoming savage and bloodthirsty. Um, all of this sort of spirit of corruption goes through the land uh, from the north. And that's how they know that Melkor has come. Uh, and I, so we have this sort of the discovery of the sort of infection of Melkor in the world. Um, Then we have the overthrow of the lamps. Now, the overthrow of the lamps happens very comically in the Book of Lost Tales. And I don't recommend that we do the Lost Tales version of the overthrow of the lamps. Um, because the overthrow of the lamps in the, in the Lost Tales version make the Valar look absolutely like idiots. Um, because the way it happens in the Book of Lost Tales, believe it or not, is Melkor is with them. Melkor is just among the iron, but he's in disguise. He's all like, hey, I'm one of the Valar too. Like, let's make Arda. Yay, team. And he helps them build the lamps. He's like, oh yeah, you want to build, build big lamps? That's a great idea. I can help with that. And so he, he helps to build the lamps, but he builds the supports to the lamps out of ice instead of rock. And they don't notice this. So that when the lamps light up and everyone's like, Yay! The lamps are lit! Then the ice melts and they fall over and crash and everything gets destroyed and Melkar's like, Suckers! And that's how the war begins. Um, Probably
1: a good reason why Tolkien changed
0: that. I, I think so. I think so. Um, but uh, but of course, one element that it kind of brings in um, with... Um, uh, one thing that it brings in is uh is is the f- the possibility of melkor coming among them um, as piece you know not having declared himself as their enemy yet um, that we might want to consider doing that
1: That's a really good idea. I mean, I've been thinking about this all the way along the line. I mean, we've, we've got to, from the very beginning of all this, be showing some tension building of good versus evil. So Melkor will be watching from afar all this stuff coming, going on and then come down and set up and, yeah, I mean, we need to...
0: It would be, I mean, on the one hand, I mean, we could just do a uh, sort of straight up Melkor is totally evil and corrupt from the beginning kind of thing. Um, that is, you know, we could have like, Showing Melkor up in Utumno, like cackling maniacally and doing evil things, and then the Val. But I think it would be much more interesting to have some of those scenes. Which, again, you know, Tolkien, Tolkien had this element at the beginning, and I I don't see any reason why we couldn't add that back in. Um, Melkor, Melkor coming in because they... Well,
1: uh, yeah, cause I mean, he basically what he starts out, how he starts out is he basically wants to be Manway, right? I mean, that's how he starts out, is he wants to be the
0: dude. Correct. Right, and he, um, yeah. um, yeah, he, what, Timothy, yeah, this is after the music, so he's already had his rebellion, but see, remember what happens later in the Silmarillion, right? It's not only after his rebellion, but after their wars with him, and after the, 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 the incident with the lamps, and, They've been struggling with him for, you know, that they set him free. They've imprisoned him for three ages, and then they're like, well, Melkor, if you learned your lesson, and he's like, totally, I'm totally, I'm a completely well-adjusted member of society now, and and Manway's like, okay, that's so great. Why don't you live here with us, and we'll all be happy together. Remember, I mean, so, like, the unchaining of Melkor happens after all of this stuff is happening. So, so, would Man, would that same Manwe be willing to believe after the Ainur and after you know after the music and Iluvatar's rebuke and illustration of how like Melkor's plans are only going to lead to my greater glory? Would Melkor be willing to? Would Manwe rather be willing to believe Melkor if Melkor came to him at that point and said, "You know what? I repent. He's right. I'm going to be a constructive member of the team. I promise." Yeah, I bet Manway would believe him there. Um, Manway believed him later. Manway would believe him now, right? Um, but of course, that doesn't. I think Varda might not. And there again, we can um, that that actual that allows for character development um, and setting up of that later story for the unchaining. The unchaining of Melkor, of course, is going to happen in season two. Um, so uh, you know, we'll we'll want to sort of set that up and come back to it.
1: Well, and the, um, the thing with Melkor, in my mind, is, like, it's the, it's the original story that Saruman echoes ages later. It was just pride goeth before the fall kind of thing, you know? It's, yes. He's, that's really what I've always gotten from Tolkien's story of Melkor, is this pridefulness that then, you know, slowly becomes this, like, really dark evil thing. Yes. And I, I vote for showing that because I think, first of all, I think that's much more interesting yes. than just having a, you know, two-dimensional bad guy from the get-go.
0: Exactly, exactly. Um, and, and I, 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 ex- I do think two, two-dimensional two is ex- exactly what I'm concerned about. I mean, I think if from the beginning we had we simply depict him as like the Dark Lord up at a tumno, you know, pulling the wings off of flies and trying to do all manner of evil things that he can think of, He's not an interesting character. From the beginning, and Tim Mott makes a wonderful point, which I was just about to say. Um, absolutely, the emphasis should not be on Melkor's ability to deceive Manway but on Manway's commitment to mercy. Yes, yes, um, we we yes. have to be we have to really carefully manage both of those scenes, both scenes in here in season one and in the unchaining at season two. Um, not to make Manway just look like an idiot. I don't think it's Tolkien's intention that Manway's is a gullible fool um, who's always taken in by Melkor. But but exactly, Tim, that he is he is committed to mercy, and he's willing to uh, uh, to show mercy even if the odds seem against it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Karita um, asks, at what point do we believe that Melkor is wholly evil? Um, well, there there's,
1: needs to come a point in the story, it may not be in season one, where we see him take the path of no return. Well,
0: and that's always an interesting question, right? That is... The interesting question of at what point, what is the point of no return exactly? You know, at, at what point could the um, because, of course, Tolkien believed in repentance. Um, even with Sauron, for instance, Tolkien suggests that the near repentance, partial repentance, Back. temporary repentance of Sauron at the end of 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 uh, the First Age was genuine. Um, and that there was a there was a real legitimate chance that Sauron could have stayed on the straight and narrow at the end of the first stage. He didn't. He fell off the you know he, he fell off the wagon. But he could but he could have done it. Um, and therefore, by implication, Sauron himself was not unredeemable, even after all the stuff that he does in the first age. So, at, you know, the question that uh, Tolkien never addresses this question about Melkor, like at what point did he pass the point of no return? That's, I think
1: that's the decision we're going to have to make.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know that we necessarily sort of overtly point to it, but I do think it's, um, I think it's important for our depiction of, of evil in Tolkien, because Trish, exactly as you said, Melkor is the role model of all villains who follow. Yes, right? that's right. Um, so I think it's, it's, one of the things, I mean, and I've talked about this on many other occasions, the most common accusation that's made against Tolkien, and this has been made since like the early reviews of The Lord of the Rings when it first came out, um, by people who obviously hadn't actually read the book, um, the, 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 one of the big sort of knocks against Tolkien by people who don't read him thoroughly or very carefully is that he's just—you know—Tolkien's uh, world is a very simplistic world of easy blacks and whites, where the good people are completely good and the evil people are completely evil, and there's there's nothing in between. Um, I'm not saying there actually isn't any uh, uh, substance. To that accusation, in particular, when it comes to the characterization of the orcs, a weakness which Tolkien himself recognized as his, uh, you know, sort of as he moved through his life. But in general, certainly as regards the villains, uh, both the heroes and the villains of his work, it is a completely untenable. You know, only only a very ignorant person um, would actually believe anything like that, um, because it's it's just very much not in keeping with what we see in Tolkien's work. He um is very interested in the sort of journey that brings a person to to commit acts of evil um that brings a person to uh, uh to, to kind of go down that road. And I think it is very important for us to, to be depicting that. Um it would be easy um to for us to again just to slap Melkor in in Utumno and have him be the dark lord who just prefers the dark and who, uh, who who likes corruption and ugliness and evil for their own sake. And that's not Melkor's story.
1: Well, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think it's a much more uh, engrossing story to see, you know, I, I really have always thought of this as Melkor, you know, is, he starts out, it's like, I know how to do it better. I'm the one who should be in charge because I know how to do it better I mean to me that's sort of how he starts out you know that his pride and his you know yes. sort of I, I suppose arrogance I mean he wants you know he wants to be sort of the favorite and and he wants to have Manway's position he wants to have Manway's wife um, you know to me that's and then the the, the slow descent from that. And, but we do have to get to a point where it's clear he, he turns totally to the dark side. I mean, he does totally turn to the dark side. And I think there needs to be some sort of demarcation where we say, that's it on him. I mean, yeah. he's gone. Well, know, and- he's, there is no Melkor anymore. It's now just Morgoth left.
0: Right, 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 exactly. And I, that's where I think the business about the, the relationship with Varda really comes in. Um, the context ah. in which Melkor is described as being attracted to Varda is, again, in the description of Varda in the Valaquenta, when Tolkien speaks of the fact she Varda is associated primarily with light, and the light of a Lúvatar is in her face. Um, and it is the light in Varda which Melkor seems to be attracted to. That's what draws him to her, but she rejects him and she rejects him because not because, you know, it's, it's not just like, she's not just like she's snooty or like, you know, if Varda hadn't been so high and mighty, then like maybe he wouldn't have gone bad or something like that. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's not like that at all. Um, instead, he, um, she sees his motivations, right? She knows that she, she, she doesn't trust him. And so I think that in in that relationship between Varda and Melkor, we can show both his genuine desire for things which are good. You think about the the Aule story, right? Aule screws up when he creates the dwarves, and when he explains it to Iluvatar, you know, he says like this this love that I have, this desire to make and to teach. These things were placed in my heart by you, right? Um, now that doesn 't mean that what he did is okay it 's just an explanation of how he went about going wrong, right What Awe did wrong was not to 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 make something and not to want to teach and to love things because again that 's how he was made. Those things were put in his heart by Iluvatar and are an expression of elluvatar 's own will and of elluvatar 's own love himself. But the problem was that he did that in disobedience. He set up on his own. He went. He broke the plan. He defied the known will of Iluvatar to do that. He wanted to have, you know, this. What he wanted was a good thing, but he wanted it on his own terms, and that was bad. With Melkor, also, we can show him being attracted to light. Loving and desiring the things of aluvatar, but the difference is, you know, that is, it's why he wants it. It's the context in which he wants it. He wants to be the master of it. He, he, he wants the light of aluvatar. Not because he wants to serve a Lúvatar, but because he wants to set up on his own. Because he wants to be the master. Um, and again, Varda's rejection of him can be because she she sees through him. And this, I think, is part of the tension. Basically, I think we can also, by the way, do a little f- anticipation of Thingol and Melian in Manwe and Varda as well. That I, because I think Varda, if Melkor does come among them, um, at, in uh, in on on Almaran. I think she's not going to trust him. She she's not going to buy it. Um, even though Manway does. Um, so, uh, so yeah. Anyway, yeah. Sarah King says, and Galadriel and Feanor. Real, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there are there are a, a bunch of places where we can we can sort of uh, see this. That's
1: something we probably ought to identify at some point is par- you know our parallel stories. Like you and I talked yesterday about uh Andreth and Eignor being precursor to Baron and Lucian, you know, that we have a, a bunch of those kinds of things. Yes. Like yes. you just said, you know, Melkor and, and Varda being sort of the precursor to Melian and Thingol, You know, I mean I think that's useful for us to sort of maybe map those or at least list them.
0: Right. Cause that will help shape the story. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, Tim Mott says, uh, Melkor has the air of an outsider. He's excluded from the circle of the Valar at almost every step, though he is the one excluding himself. That could be useful for character arc. Absolutely. No, yeah, there's no question that we have to show that in Melkor's mind, the problem is that he's being disrespected. Right? Um, you know, he's being, den- you know, his own, Melkor's own narrative about what's happening here is different than the, the narrative of the rest of the Valar, right? The pro- He's not the problem, obviously, right? The problem is the rest of the Valar, um, and he's being shown disrespect. So I think the sort of the turning point of the season, of season one, really should be the destruction of the lamps, because the destruction of the lamps is the first place where the um, Melkor and the Valar really come into open conflict. I mean other than the music, of course, which has anticipated all of this, um, but that 's the point at which it becomes clear you know, at that point the mask is off he 's not even he 's not going to be pretending to be uh, to be a friend anymore um, it 's his open act of aggression against them when he decides okay no i 'm going to conquer them um, and it 's then um, that sort of the first the first battle begins, um, and we get um, we get the depiction of um, of of Melkor, yes, he descended upon Arda in power and majesty greater than any other of the Valar, yes. as a mountain Perfect. that wades in the sea and has its head above the clouds and is clad in ice and crowned with smoke and fire. That's at the end of the Ainulindale. See, that's that's, that's when yeah. we get that Melkor uh, coming through. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. So and the
1: seeds of his own destruction, you know, in that in that picture.
0: Yes. Yes. Exactly. Um, but again, see for him, this is just. This is. Just, you know, he's, he 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 is asserting his mastery. He is claiming his rights, which are being Absolutely. denied him by the rest of the Valar. Um, he has been. He has been. Sl- he probably blames Varda. Um, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he blamed Varda primarily because since he was drawn primarily to her and she was the one who was primarily rejecting him, um, he's probably going to 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 blame her for like poisoning the other Valar against him and everything. Um, so, so anyway, it, plus, this...
1: plus we have the ability in there to also use the Varda attraction as a way of um, of building his antipathy for Manway.
0: Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um yeah, Sarah King exactly. Um uh Sarah King says it's 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 interesting because he originally loves light and therefore he destroys uh uh light sort of spitefully. Yeah, Sarah, I'd go even further and say that wh- the the association between Melkor and darkness is not just in his hatred of light, but he, because as you say, he he he's drawn to light. He loves light. That's what. That's why he was drawn to Varda. But rather, his desire to hoard light, his claiming of light. He overthrows the lamps not because um, he just like he's doing like a petty act of sabotage or something like that, but because light is his. Darn it! And he's not going to let them have it. So he's going to destroy these 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 upstart lamps that they have made. Um, and he's and basically this anticipates his hoarding of the silmarils right this is why he loves the silmarils and why he hoards the silmarils because he wants to keep the light all to himself and shut it away in his own private hoard um he's he he's not and he's not antipathetic to light he is a miser when it comes to light um and denies it to everyone and also therefore like a miser to himself so um so that's my thought about how sort of Melkor develops. What this means, by the way, I think we should have, this is one of the ways in which, Tim, this is one of the ways in which I was thinking of kind of breaking a pure chronological thing, is that I think, you know, the establishment of Almarin and the lamps and the development, you know, sort of the introduction of the characters of the rest of the, of the Valar, um, should kind of happen in a, in an episode. Then I want to do another episode where we just go back and we do Melkor's story. So like we go back to the void and him his seeking of the Imper of the of the of the Flame Imperishable. And uh and his 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 interaction with Varda and everything. And we set that up um, all through his descent into 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 Arda and his establishment of Atomno and his plan to go among the Valar um in uh in, 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 in Elmerin. so that we, because I want to have, I, I want to really give full scope to the development of his character. And, uh, and so I think we can, we can do that by, you know, not just kind of checking in with Melkor as we go along. Um, yeah. 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 Brianna says we could, uh, the attraction to Varda, um, uh, could also be expanded on by showing a potential harmony from that union, uh, a what if juxtaposed uh, to the corrupted nature of it. Um, so in this case, look how their their elements complement each other. Varda the stars and uh, Melkor, who who is associated, as Brianna points out, with uh, with with uh, with temperature, with uh, heats and colds. Um, thinking of astronomy and the substance of the actual stars. Um, yeah, that, 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 that's interesting, Brianna. I mean, we will see, we will have to have Varda, you know, making the stars and show her being associated with the stars. Um, the, uh, uh, the lighting of season one is going to be really interesting because it's going to, remember, we're not going to get, uh, the, the, the sun isn't, the sun and the moon aren't going to rise until the end of season three. So, um, we're, uh um. Uh, they, we're going starlight is going to be our primary lighting for uh, much of what goes on. Now, season one we get around that with the lamps. Season two we'll get around that with the trees, so we will have the opportunity to have some actually fully lit scenes. But we do need to have some starlight scenes um because that's going to be really important. But anyway, yeah, so Brianna, thinking about the way that those fit together, I agree. I don't think we should simply have Varda be standoffish from the beginning. I mean, I do think that we can because you know, it's um, it seems to me possible, that, you know, in the in the, in the what if world, right? The what if world of uh, of what if uh, what if Melkor hadn't fallen, you know, what if Melkor hadn't gone wrong? It doesn't seem to me impossible that he and Varda could have been together, conceivably. You know that 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 it's possible that they that they, you know, that could have worked. That could have been a good thing, um, but not. But he chose one way, and she chose another, and she recognized the choice in him and refused to go along with it. Um, it's, it's possible. So I mean, again, again, notice how we have here the elements of you know a a, a love triangle here. But again, the, the point of it is not just to be sort of cheesy and emotional about it, but to try to the, the, the real challenge is how do you fit these things within the psychologies you know a sort of a recognizable character psychology um, but yet also be sort of pointing to the sort of the cosmic and moral implications of all of these things um, that's uh that's really interesting uh Timothy asks a really great question which Tolkien never definitively answers uh Timothy says what is melkor's original domain and um of course one Natural answer to that question would seem to be fire in that we get three major uh, valar, you know, we've got Manwe, Olmo, and Aule associated with the air, the water, and the earth respectively, the obvious missing fourth character there is uh, is a, a valar of fire um, in which we would then have the four basic primordial elements represented and we don't have one among the valar there is no valar of fire um uh, melkor and his associations and it, if you think about the way also in which um, the basic the, the other the other that's not of course a positive piece of evidence it's a negative piece of evidence to suggest that melkor would have been associated with fire um but of course another piece of evidence to suggest that he would be would have been associated with fire is who his people are that is each of the each of the valar have people they have maiar lesser spirits a host of lesser spirits right. with them um uh, manwë is associated with sylphs, the spirits of the air and and uh and and olmo uh, with spirits of the of, of the waters who is Melkor associated with? Balrogs. Spirits of fire, right? Um, So that's another thing that makes it seem likely that fire would have been... Had he been in a peaceful relationship with the rest of them and ruling Arda, fire would have been his domain. The other thing that leads me to think that that's likely... Is knowing the medieval system. So in the in medieval cosmology, um, they uh, they spoke of the world as a series, uh, both as the cosmos as a series of concentric spheres, um, which I still hold out as a really wonderful way to map the cosmos. Um, uh, Copernicus is okay in his way, but I really like the medieval mode anyway. Um, uh, people who object to a geocentric universe need to read Einstein, man. Like, why not take the Earth as your laboratory framework? It works. The sun is an arbitrary frame, uh, uh, framework, and the, the sun isn't any more the center of the solar system than the Earth is. It just depends on what you establish your frame of reference. Um, anyway, sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> Einstein v. Copernicus in my own mind. But anyhow, so okay. Okay. Um, uh, the, the thing about the, 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 the medieval cosmology is that they believe the world is essentially made of a series of concentric spheres. So we have the sphere of earth at the centermost, the sphere of water above that, the sphere of air above that, and, this, and the sphere of fire is uppermost. Um, so the fact that the sphere of fire is the outermost, highest, greatest, and largest sphere of the earth um, and the one that is nearest to the heavens um, suggests – so you notice how this suggests a kind of hierarchy – Right? And that hierarchy seems to play out. Um, Aule, Ulmo above him, Manwe above him seems to be pretty much the pecking order. Um, I mean, they work as, you know, they, they, they work as, 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 you know, Manwe is first among equals. There's not a really strict hierarchical relationship among those three. Um, but, you know, just when you kind of look at the authority with which those three characters act, that seems to me to map pretty fairly onto where exactly they are in the pecking order in the Valar. And now
1: are you saying that that matches the medieval?
0: it does yeah that 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 is the medieval view uh earth on the bottom then water then uh air and then fire above that melkor w- was the greatest he would have been above manwe um they were you know the two of them were very close again like the other three you know the the other you know the others are close presumably had all things gone according to plan uh you know melkor manwe Ulmo, and Aule would all four of them have been operating, you know, as peers, um, and Melkor presumably as the first among near, uh, uh, near equals. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so this is, uh, this is, a, a keep in mind now, obviously, as you can tell, I'm not citing any Tolkien source here. He didn't talk about this. I'm just sort of looking at the shape of things and, and, and giving my third reason for thinking that it seems likely that Melkor would have been associated with fire. Because it also kind of, not only is it the missing element, it's the, it's the uppermost of the elements, and that also seems to fit where Melkor would have fit had he not fallen, uh, in the, in the uh, in the in the order of things. So anyway,
1: um, can I just intervene here? I'm sorry. I, I just want to look at the timing, and I, I have a solution. I have a a, a suggestion that yeah. we do. Um, I think that we need the rest of the time that we have available to us to talk about you know the the plot overview for all yes. the episodes. are not going to be able to do the frame. I think we do the narrative next time. And Brianna, our resident, you know. Word of authority on this suggests that we actually wait on casting until we do the plot, plot episode by episode. Um, her feeling about this being that without knowing that and without even doing even necessarily the music and and sets and everything else, that it'll be more challenging to cast. So we move the casting to the end and embark on the first episode after, you know, next time we'll do frame narrative for, you know, for the season and then after that we start. With episode by episode and move casting
0: to the end. What do you think? Okay, sure, sure. Okay. I, I can, I can, I, I can get behind that. It will help us get more of a handle on who these characters are and what we want them to do. Um, yeah, I
1: think that makes sense, actually. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and it gives us the whole time, really. F- I mean, I think the casting is something that needs some thought and it gives everybody a chance to kind of understand how we're going to, f- uh, like just what we're talking about today you know the whole thing about Melkor and Varda relationship I think that has a bearing on the casting Right. so how we you know unravel the story so to speak right. will have a bearing so I think that's a great thanks Brianna for that input
0: yeah yeah right Um so uh, thinking about fire so Patrick Summers was asking can shadow also be a part of his domain Well, yeah in a sense it would have been right you know and again thinking about light and his attraction to light light is his I mean ultimately when you're talking about Fire. Thinking about fire. No, you know, not just flames, because um, you know, flames as they are, you know, uh, leaping upwards. You know, can they leap upwards towards the sphere of fire above the sphere of air? That's how you can tell the sphere of fire is above the sphere of air. Of course, is that fire? You know, flames leap upwards in the air. Um, when flames leap up from a from a from a from a wood fire, that's only one manifestation of fire and there are many other manifestations of fire light itself the Sun itself is a manifestation of fire um, so his connection with light and also therefore Patrick with the darkness right The sort of you know the to, to, to go all Genesis one for a second the division between light and darkness you know, the dividing the darkness from the light that's kind of what the person who's in charge of light does right um, you know the one who the one who's who uh, uh, uh sort of has 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 light is the is sort of the the physical maker of light um is the one also who determines where darkness is so so yes in that sense shadow is his domain and the choice therefore melkor becoming not a spirit of light but a spirit of shadow this is why i really like that kind of the miser of light idea because it's not that he turns his back on it and says, I used to like light, but I decided I don't like light anymore. I like shadow instead. I'm a bad guy now, right? Um, that's really hokey, and it's hard to, it's hard to get behind that psychologically. Um, <clears throat> if instead we have him still loving light and desiring light, but what he gets is more and more spiteful about sharing it and wanting to keep it to himself. So he is now the lord of light who chooses that everybody else, and therefore by extension himself, should uh, uh, should be in darkness because he wants to he grudges them the light and thinks they thinks them unworthy of it or something like that um, so so that I think is is how we have, we eventually have him being the Lord of shadows who you know afflicts everybody else with darkness if possible again because he hates the light exactly though that is sort of a dynamic that kind of comes later on um, just as just as with a real Miser, you know, like a, a classic, uh, you know, uh, with 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 uh, a, a miser in a really advanced state. You can't tell a miser apart from a pauper, right? I mean, like they look like a really poor person because they are so unwilling to spend. You know, I'm thinking of like, uh, you know, Silas Marner and any you know, other literary depictions of extreme misers. Um, uh, you know, the the. the an extreme miser is so unwilling to spend money that they themselves look and act entirely poor and you would begin to think that the miser just hated money um, and and because they do hate the spending of money perversely because they love money um, and again i think that this is where um, uh this is this is this is kind of where we, so it, eventually the seeking to possess all light himself and the grudging of all light to other to other creatures the the increasingly uh uh general um uh, um, desire to deprive everybody else of light and to hoard light to himself becomes indistinguishable from I hate light and I want to destroy it everywhere that's what it would look like to everybody else and it might even in a sense be what it sort of becomes because that's kind of the road that you end up going down you know when you go here that's that's what it means for him to turn to darkness for him to become evil um, so um, anyway that's I, I, I think I think that that has you know so connecting him connecting him with fire again not just in the in the sense of like I throw fireballs and and that kind of thing but but really with light and with heat extremes of temperature um uh, is as uh, Brianna was saying he's associated with that in the Anulindale um extreme heats and colds are said to be a result of the of the uh the rebellion of Melkor in the music um so again temperature that's a fire thing um, which means ice is a fire thing as well. Um, and therefore he has, again, think forward to the witch king of Angmar and the Forochel, right? I mean, that's the, 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 the people of, of Ooh, the yeah, Forodwaith and the people of Forakel. I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's all, you know, kind of tied together. They have the power to, to uh, afflict with cold as well. Um, yeah, uh, exactly. Timothy says, uh, uh, Scrooge from Christmas Carol. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I just
1: tweeted that. I said Melkor is to light as Scrooge is to money. <laughs> exactly.
0: That's exactly it. That's, that's, uh, that's, that, that's a perfect, um, uh, kind of, kind of illustration. Um, okay. Um, so, 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 so where, so where, where are we? Okay. All right. We're, we're at Melkor coming in. So, so we've got to think about how, how Melkor comes in um, so I think we have a few. So thinking about, let's just so pausing for a second in the list um, to sort of sketch things. That oh wait, actually okay. One other thing I wanted to mention because this is a this is an event that's easy to overlook because it is not depicted in any of the narrative portions of the Silmarillion. It's another it's another bit from the Valaquenta, which I think is inter- might be interesting to tell the story of, and that is the rebellion of Ossay against Ulmo. Um, we are told that uh, Melkor briefly seduced Ossay, the greatest of the spirits of water and followers of Ulmo, um, uh, to, to break his allegiance to Ulmo, and he rebelled against Ulmo, and there was great conflict in the sea between Ulmo and Ase, uh, and it's only uh, it's only Uinen. Uh, his wife uh, who saves the day um, so and, and brings him back to his allegiance and he repents and is sorry um, which means by the way we have Ase presented to us as an opportunity to show repentance is possible and therefore to increase the dramatic tension about Melkor um, Ase will show, in Ase we can show somebody who also starts down that same path but who comes back and is legitimately back and who, in fact, sticks to his allegiance thereafter. Um, so, uh, and Tim, you're right. He's also a great opportunity to showcase the power of the Maiar as well. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I do think, by the way, that we should be careful to introduce... Um, of the Maiar, we're gonna wanna be—we're gonna wanna be careful to introduce all of the Maiar who are going to be important later on. And yes, that means we—I want to put the Astari in. Um, we need to be able—they don't have to play prominent roles. Um, you know, the uh, the spirit who will later on be embodied as Radagast, for instance—that spirit among the followers of Yavanna. Doesn't need to play a major role. We don't have to invent whole storylines featuring but he
1: definitely him. Needs a speaking part.
0: Yeah, but I think we should have him. We should. We should have him present. Um, he doesn't have to be alone, but uh, but
1: yeah. <laughs> and the spirit that is Gandalf and Saruman and Radagast can look over and go, "Who are those two guys in blue over there?"
0: Exactly. Yeah, I, I, tot- I totally think that Ase should have. Two of his followers should be just dressed in blue, but they're not named. You know, we just don't even, we don't, we don't even <laughs> name who they are. We just have, make sure that Ase has two followers who are wearing blue. That's all. That's all. just a little, just Actually, a little we do have, they Easter do have egg. names though, don't they? It's yeah, they do eventually get names, but I think it would be funnier, especially at the beginning if we don't name them. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that's just, just, just as kind of a joke. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, Uh, Philip, that is uh, an excellent point. Um, How awesome would it be during season one to have Tom Bombadil already set up in his house? Uh. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, maybe this could be like during the during the overthrow of the lamps. Right. We have Tom Bombadil. (laughs) Already, already by you know, like in his little patch of ground, looking up and being like, "Dude, <laughs> what just happened?" Really?
1: There? Like Arome passes by, right? Or Arome comes like he's like he's, like camps. You know, he comes and stays as a guest on his way around hunting.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just a little <laughs> cameo by yet. Tom Bombadil standing there Bombadil's, with like with like his hands full of water lilies right? or something. You know, yeah. Well, is yeah. he
1: batching it? He'll be batching it at this point in the story, won't he?
0: Uh, well, you know, I mean, how, where would he be? I mean, we can't say he's by the Withywindle. Surely, the River Withywindle doesn't exist yet in the state of the That's formation true. of the land. He'd but, be an yeah.
1: Elmerin somewhere, wouldn't he?
0: He would. He would. I mean, I don't know when exactly we're we're supposed to understand that he has uh, married. Plus, if we Goldberry, decide that but...
1: if we decide to go with the as a Maya, you know, choice of the controversy, then he'd probably be a buddy of Yavana. Probably he might even know the River Woman because the River Woman might be a Maya.
0: Yeah. Now the River Woman would be one of one of uh one of Olmo's. Oh, Maya. one of
1: Olmo's. That's right. That's
0: right. Yeah, but he. But doesn't That's right. that doesn't mean you know? But he 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 could be associated with uh with with Yovana. Um, yeah, Sarah King says we should, uh, we should show the first raindrop falling on Tom's nose. That is awesome. Yeah. He does say he remembers the first, the first raindrop and the first acorn. <laughs> uh, so yeah, like the first time it rains, we show Tom Bombadil looking up, you know, like, what the heck? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, of course, now we got Tom Bombadil. I, I think you already said, I mean, we're going to have the owl and the dwarves, which will be a big episode. And of course, Yavanna and the Ents, which will either be part of that same episode or a follow up to it. Yeah. I don't know that they get a full episode, but we
0: wouldn't want to actually do Tom Bombadil and gold. Goldberry in season one, would we?
1: I don't think so. I, I would think, doesn't Goldberry happens later on down the line, doesn't she? I well, know.
0: I mean, yeah. We've got
1: a white, <laughs> I mean, if there's a barrel white, that means it's been, the men have been around, and Numenor's already fallen, and all that stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, I do. it's it probably important to have Tom be a bachelor for a while. Um, yeah. You uh, could uh, maybe
1: see a little kid running around the
0: river woman. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm getting silly. I'm yeah, sorry. Right, right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Toddler Goldberry, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's, no, that, he's somehow strangely attracted to. Right, exactly. It gets a little creepy at that point, <laughs> you know, then we get creepy. into. Yeah, yeah. that would be kind of. Weird. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. And, and Brianna, we do need to get Gandalf hanging out with, uh, with Nienna. In fact, Brianna, you, you, you know, the first image I had oh, in my definitely. mind when, um um, when uh i i i i had this like flashbulb inspiration when i was thinking about gandalf and how we put gandalf in cuz remember in the at the end of the valaquenta it emphasizes that gandalf doesn't come into these stories that he doesn't take part in these but that he does come among the elves unseen um and that he's responsible for many of the fair visions and sort of inspirations that they have um so it would be it would be an open violation of what the text tells us to give Oloran like a major speaking role and you know having him interacting with the Noldor in season two and all that kind of thing. Um, but I, I just I just had this sort of flashbulb inspiration of uh, when Feanor is giving his speech and leading the rebellion of the Noldor and the Noldor sort of you know rise up and they set out uh, from Tirion. Um, then, like panning back and showing Olorin looking down, unseen by them, and watching and listening to this happening, and then just like, and, and then just seeing you know tears rolling down the face of Olorin as he watches. Which means we
1: need to make sure everybody knows who he is by that time. Well, I have an idea. Every time Nana cries, Olorin just silently brings her a handkerchief. <laughs> and there you go. There's right. the precursor to Bilbo's handkerchief. There you go, huh? Right, right,
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yes, uh, we
1: are Gabrielle. we're going to show yes Ale we're Ale definitely
0: going to show Aule and the in creation of the dwarves.
1: in this season in
0: this actually. yeah in in, yeah. in in season one, so yeah so I'm I'm, I'm 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 i've I've left off my list which i which I probably shouldn't do um other things that we need to do yes uh Ale and the dwarves and then which us and the ants
1: yeah
0: yes, and the ants and eagles um right and uh that's essentially, well, okay, well, no, the, then we need, you know, Varda and the constellations. And then we have the, you know, the, 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 the war with Melkor.
1: Are we doing anything? I mean, we haven't really talked, well, we talked, we've talked about Manway in relation to other characters are we doing anything with Manway and I just thought about that with regard to the eagles because at some point don't we need to we, I mean we kind of show somehow that the eagles and Manway are right yeah that
0: comes in with with Yovanna uh, Manway is oh, okay, ma- okay. she. she goes to to Manway and, and they talk together and he has his vision and they d- and the, they do
1: it's just i just they noticing they collaborate in our the list. there's not really much of a characterization of, of Manway and Arome is out of and also uh, Mandos we don't have any listing it for him either
0: Right, right. Yes, true. Um, <clears throat> let me, um, all right, hang on a second. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a, a new note. No, here. Timothy,
1: we're actually talking 13 episodes, first season. I mean, we're totally. going to get Queen Anne at the end of the 13th season. So, I, again, you know, I don't know that we're gonna have time. I mean, it's like, part of this is the challenge of, of, of adaptation. What do we keep? What do we not keep? You know, what do we focus on? What do we not focus on?
0: Yep. I wanted to do this, you know, brainstorming and then. Yeah. Uh, and then figuring it. So let's, let's move on to the second part here and actually, uh, make this into, make this into a shape. So, okay. So episode one, that's easy. We get the music, right? Um, do we, do we do the vision in episode one? Let's, 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 Uh. let's see how we can actually fit this in. so don't forget we're
1: going to have a narrative.
0: And yeah, yeah, and we're going to have a bunch don't of frames. stand frame by stuff.
1: My, my assertion that it's a 2-hour episode for
0: the very first one. Right. We certainly that certainly can be can be on the table. We can we can we can we can do that if we need to. Um uh okay, okay. Um, um music and, and vision. Shall we? Vision. Yeah. So let's 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 say let's say that this ends with a vision. Um, Then episode two.
1: I think it's... And what did we are... Yeah, so they come to Arda in episode two, right? And we're not... As you said, we will do Melkor and the Void probably as a flashback at some point. So we don't spend a lot of time up front with that.
0: So if we do this as a kind of setting up in Arda and and the, the function of this second episode would be primarily to introduce the characters, right. To make sure that we know who the characters are, you know, again, not that we're just going to do the Vala Quinta on screen here. Um, but, um, <clears throat> making sure that we really know who the full cast of characters are there, um, is, uh, is, is I think, I think important here. Um, so do we have the establishment uh of the of Almaran here Now just to make sure that we get in the proper shape here I want to jump to the end The final episode is going to be the chaining of Melkor, right?
1: I thought it was Oh, it's not. We talked about it being Orme finding the finding the elves.
0: But that's not the full episode. I think the full episode of Oraman the Elf oh, has to be episode one of oh, okay. season, of it, it season two. It just basically
1: ends, ends right. with that exactly. A teaser. For
0: yeah, the final, the final teaser hook at the end of the episode is the Elves' uh, okay. awakening there. Um, so... Um,
1: now, yeah. I do want to just... You know, Philip brought up the fact that people have actually posted some great stuff on the discussion board. Yes. Uh, for ideas. And I do want to give a shout out to that. Um, sh- I, should we ask for a helper like we talked about?
0: Oh, well, um, Hmm.
1: That's a terrible thing for me to ask on the air. Yeah.
0: It? Well, no, we, 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 we can do that. We We sort of talked about that. We can do that. One thing that I would be really great, uh, for, uh, us is to have a, um, uh, If there's anyone, especially people who are really involved in the discussion boards, it would be really helpful for us, the hosts, because we want to make sure it's... It's going, it's going, it's only going to get harder as time goes on for us to stay on top of everything that's happening in the discussion board. Um, what I rather expect to happen as we sort of build momentum is that some kind of different, uh, sort of sub-communities of people will be deeply involved in particular discussions, like the people involved in discussions of music and, and, uh, and, uh, visual design and things like that. Um, And it's going to be, it's going to be increasingly difficult for the hosts to sort of stay on top of everything that's going on everywhere in the discussion board. It would be really great to have somebody who can kind of help us with a kind of, um, sort of
1: give us kind of like an executive summary. Yeah. Digest and
0: highlights so that we can make sure, I want to make sure that we don't overlook things, um, that we might want to include and come back at the beginning of next time. As usual, we're going to be, um, we're going to be talking about, um, uh the uh you know we're going to be going back and looking at some of these some other suggestions that people have made in response to what we said here and and also some of those uh before so anyway it would be uh um it would be it would be pretty so i if, think if if anyone is, is interested in kind of uh joining the team and helping out with let it, me know this, yeah. let me
1: know yeah. um and, we can know. About. and i just should give a caveat that's how I started out working it. <laughs> Just be So you okay.
0: never know what's going to happen. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so um, now let's see. Uh, Lee asks a great question. Lee Kemp says, uh, where will the central conflict between Melkor and Eluvatar slash the Valar be introduced? Um, well, the conflict, I mean, the the, Mel- the rebellion of Melkor is going to happen in the music. So we will see that initially. But like I said, I think my thought is that here, episode three, episode two, we establish the Valar and their in- initial dwelling there in Almorin. Um But then I think in episode three, we go backwards. A little bit. And this is where we have the sort of Melkor, um, Melkor's backstory. Yes. The Melkor backstory. We have, you know, so we have him seeking the flame imperishable. Uh, it we have.
1: Varda.
0: Right. Uh, Varda, the Varda rejection. Um, and then we all, we have his, uh, secret, uh, his coming in, to in Arda. Yes. Yeah, his secret coming to R Ar- and his establishment of a tumno, tumno with a U. Okay, with uh, his 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 establishment of, of a but he doesn't come. So then four would be Melkor uh, comes among the Valar, and um, we can begin. So this is where we we have the you know sort of Manway Varda stuff.
1: Ooh, seducing Myron! Don't forget, Robert Brown says.
0: Yes, true. We have Sauron. Uh, we do need to introduce Sauron as as he's obviously one of our go to Maiar here that we're going to need to. Uh... That's he'll
1: be a, like the Astari, right? I mean, he'll be yeah. characterized. We'll do the same kind of kind of thing.
0: Exactly. I mean, we won't
1: have an episode specific to them, but when we actually talk about these episodes, we need to remember that these folks need to be part yep. of
0: the cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sauron can be involved here. Uh, can be involved here here in the beginning, because it we,
1: happens before he comes down, doesn't it? I mean, don't doesn't he kind of
0: enroll Sauron well,
1: like before he descends, or
0: we yes, but theoretically everything happens before the descent, <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, like that. Uh, it's uh, that seems to me the ultimate pattern, right? Is that and, and this is why I think um, what we can basically do is sort of show. The, the rejection with Varda here, like, prior to the descent into Arda, um, you know, at the beginning, um, I would be kind of interested actually to have that happen in the context of his seeking of the imperishable flame, basically. Um, ah. that he, you know, like, you know, has a conversation with Varda, you know, invites Varda to go with him, and she refuses, uh, you know, to join with him in his, in his search for the imperishable flame. Um, but then we get the, the the whole pattern, the historical pattern in the beginning of the Silmarillion, right, is that everything is prefigured in the music and the vision, but then everything is recapitulated. Everything actually happens in history as time unfolds. In other words, I think we need, like, es- essentially he, he approaches Varda again. I think that's that can be sort of one of the central pieces here in episode four, when Melkor comes among the Varda in Elmerin. And, you know, he basically kind of, uh, sidles up to, to Varda again and is kind of testing the waters and she's rejecting him again and man, and she's uncomfortable and, and, and Manway is merciful and, um, you know, so we can do those things. Then the question, Timothy Fisher asks a wonderful question, um, uh, that, um, uh, does, uh, Melkor have a hand in the building of the lamps? Um and I would say yes. Again that's a that's a that's kind of a fun nod to the Book of Lost Tales where he was very much involved. That's what he did. But of course he was just deceiving them all along. I think we make the story a little less simplistic uh, and obviously less slapstick than it was uh in uh in the Book of Lost Tales. Um but I do think that uh that we can um we can show him as being involved in the lamps but again here this is where i think we can begin to introduce that dynamic he comes in and sets up in but again his it's not that he's just going it's not that he is the villain from the beginning and he's like deliberately setting out to infiltrate and corrupt the valar and ultimately to destroy them um i think he's going down to sort of take his rightful place And sets up the lamps because he's the, he's the light guy. And so, and I think that, you know, part of the problem can be that after he helps them set up the lamps, it becomes clear that they're not gonna bow to him and that nobody, they're not giving him enough credit. Nobody, you know, everyone's all like, hey, look, now we're all enjoying the light equally as a community. And he's all like, that's not how it's supposed to go. you yeah.
1: ah,
0: <laughs> you're all supposed to be you know groveling Bowing before to... me that and the right. you know <laughs> yeah, so um uh so yeah, so I, I I do think that having him you know uh having him build the lamps, so do we have the I and mean, we can have the building of the lamps uh, do we do
1: that as a whole episode, building and destruction of the lamps?
0: Well, and then this is where we get like a you know leadership tension and things where where you know it, ah, it, it becomes increasingly true. uncertain like who's in charge like Melkor is acting more and more like he's in charge and this Legend, can be therefore yeah. I think where um, uh, I, I I do think that we get Sauron here okay. um,
1: and the destruction of lamps would come at like six or seven as the midpoint of the season.
0: Right, right. Right. Yeah, we're we're sort of we're sort of getting there. Um, getting towards that I think. Um, so, um yeah, Sauron, Sauron is one of the Meyer of Aule, Um so he's involved in the building of the lamp, in the building of the yeah. lamps, which Melkor could be, have sort of, you know, sort of, uh, <clears throat> designated himself as or sort of assumed that he is in charge of, right? Uh, and so he kind of takes charge of, and Sauron is one of the, one of the Meyer who's sort of working on that project with him, and that can be, we, we can make that within the, Within Arda, sort of where where Sauron and and uh, and and Melkor meet.
1: I love this Melkor and Sauron running around with tool belts.
0: Exactly awesome. right. Yeah, yeah. He he's uh, he 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 makes himself foreman of this particular project, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know Sauron is one of the is one of the chief engineers. We have Sauron following around behind Melkor with a roll of blueprints under his arm. You know that's right. that's yeah right. exactly. Exactly. And a clipboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. Pencil behind his ear. Yeah, no, it's very, it's a, uh, it's very, very, very romantic and, uh, 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 you know, fantastic. <laughs> it's as good
1: as an and scuba gear <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Exactly.
0: Okay. So th- if we do that, thinking about now where we, what we have left and what we want to cover, um, uh, I think... Because I, I notice how I'm, I'm, I'm like doing the beginning and the end, and kind of trying to work backwards towards the middle because um, that seems the best way to make sure that we actually have a shape that's going to work. Um, episode twelve, before the war and the chaining of Melkor, and then at the very end, the glimpse of the of the elves that are born. Um, we need Varda and the constellations, um, but more importantly, sort of the uh, the the anticipation. Of the firstborn, that is when 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 Ma- when Mandos tells them the firstborn are coming, and because remember that's how it happens. You know that the, they learn that the firstborn are coming. Varda goes and she puts up the constellations. Uh, you know the, the, the major. You know she puts forth her greatest effort with the stars, and then the elves awake, and then they make war um, to to preserve them. So basically, this is this is the the episode where they decide they have to move against Melkor. Oh of course ah, okay. the thing by the so way the thing that I've either. just like casually skipped minor detail in my little plot summary here is um uh uh Val- Valinor <laughs> the 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 establishment of Valinor uh and the and the the establishment of the kingdom after cuz Almarin is destroyed naturally um uh after the uh, um the the burning of the lamps the destruction of the lamps so we have to go and we have to go and establish Valinor um, that would mean here, eleven would be the latest we could do Alley and Alley and Yavanna.
1: And is should it be that late, or should it be earlier on?
0: Well, I'm it curious. it is relatively late in the sequence of things.
1: Um, I mean, we all well, but actually, you're probably right because we also we need some Olmo something, right?
0: Well, we Omo we get. Us we need... Yeah, to, oh, Tokus. Know. Darn it, we forgot Tokus. Well, Tokus can come...
1: And I don't know, it needs to be a dedicated episode, so...
0: We get Tolkus's yeah. arrival in season two, in episode okay, two, maybe? Okay.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, before we go back and do Melkor? Um,
1: yeah, because uh, actually that would be... In fact, his arrival could be toward the end of that episode as kind of maybe a way to set up the you know going backwards in time for episode 3. Yeah.
0: By the way, I think that Tolkas should just love Melkor. I think that like Tolkas at first just thinks Melkor is <laughs> awesome and he's always like laughing and slapping Melkor on the back and thinks that it's really great. Uh and and and, and that and and we can show Melkor being like privately annoyed uh and rolling his eyes behind Tolkas's back but I think that Tolkas should uh um should should uh should totally um, so in
1: that case, you know, Tolkus maybe comes down with Melkor or knows Melkor's coming coming. I don't know. Anyway, we can worry about that later.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, see, that's the other cool thing, though, is that Tolkus is the precedent for somebody like just because Melkor comes late, doesn't mean that he's bad. You know, Tolkus came late right. too, so Tolkus comes in and he's like, "Hey, I hear there's a party, and I'm a little bit late for it, right?" And Melkor's like, "Oh yeah, uh, me too, right? I'm I'm uh I'm with I'm with uh, I'm with big jovial and muscly over there." Um, but, uh <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, no, I think it's right, because, you know, get talk <laughs> us in. And- Tolkis and Melkor are, Melkor are really our rivals. I mean in a sense, right? I mean Tolkus is the one that he's most afraid of in battle. Um right. so I think you know setting and the fact that it's 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 Tulkas's, uh wedding that uh that you know he sort of spitefully decides to wreck um by choosing that moment as the timing of the of the of the overthrow of the lamps. Um so you know kind of building up the the sort of the grudge and rivalry there between Tolkis and and uh and and Melkor can definitely be a be a feature. Um Brianna says, "This becomes more hilarious considering that there's a subset of us who have been picturing Tolkis as The Rock." <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I I think you know uh, the 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 reason the only reason that that doesn't I I I could totally get behind that I could do I, I think I could be convinced to that casting choice, Brianna. Um, I've always imagined Tolkis with long hair, but um, uh, maybe it's just sort of you know, juvenile associations with Hercules, I don't know, but um, uh, but anyway, I've always imagined it with long hair, so I'm, I'm, uh that, I, 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 that, the rock doesn't seem to fit to me immediately, but it's okay, as I say I, I could, I could be convinced. Anyway, okay um, so back to our outline um, uh which it's increasingly urgent that we get through. Um It's unclear where the rebellion of Ase falls, whether it's before or after the establishment of Valinor. Um, but um. Oh, by the way, I think uh the this 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 means. By the way, we didn't say it, but uh the the uttering of the word Eä and the creation of Arda is what ends Episode One. That makes. Perfect it could thing.
1: be like the what of Beowulf, couldn't it? It become famous. <laughs> Just like that.
0: Um, okay. Just like that. All right. So we've got we've now, five uh, Mandos, episodes We here. don't have
1: Mandos in there. Do we need to like give him a tip of the hat at, at any point and figure out how he's going to weave in here?
0: Well, uh, okay. Or
1: does he actually get more airtime after the elves have shown up? Cause he becomes really more prominent at that point. Yeah, well.
0: I mean, he, he comes in here, um, Mandos gets a role in saying, hey, okay, in this age oh, shall the I... firstborn come. That's right, that's right. <clears throat> so oh, that's, that's, right. that's sort okay. of his first time center stage. Just, okay. But it leads to a question. Okay, Valinor. How much time do we spend establishing Valinor? Cause Valinor, obviously, it's going to be the setting of all of season two. Um, establishing well, the, and you think of the time that the Silmarillion establishes getting, uh, the, the regions that they dwell in, in Valinor and sort of, you know, the, the, the houses that they set up for themselves, you know, the house of Nienna, the, the, you know, the Lorien, uh, uh, and Mendos, uh, you know, those are really important kind of locations, Tiniquatil, the great mountain, um, you know, with the, 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 the dwelling of Varda and Manway on top of it. Those are all, you know, really important and iconic things. We need to establish this stuff, right?
1: Well, I think you have, because you've got the building of the lamps in five. Destruction of the lamps could come in six, with Valinor yes. being seven. The building of Valinor, right?
0: Yes. Maybe,
1: granted, this is, we're not actually talking about plot here, of course. We're talking about, there's going to have to be story woven around all this. Right, but, right. And that's what the future um,
0: episodes on those... Uh, yes. 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 Are so about. seven
1: would be what do we do now? You know, life as we know it is over. And Establishment
0: and the fortification of right. Valinor. Um.
1: Oh, yes. and you know, I talked about Mandos as Ar- Arome needs to be.
0: Yes. Yes, we need to get Arome also
1: at some point. Yeah. Um. Maybe Mandos and Arome have some story that we can
0: develop. <laughs> right. Right. Um.
1: Who were Mandos's he had sidekicks, didn't he, that were of note?
0: Well, he he's got a wife, for one, Viri the Weaver. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um that's right. and he does uh have he, oh, he doesn't have like named sidekicks named. other than his wife. Um it seems
1: like there was one that whose name I'm forgetting that was a female
0: Are you thinking of Fui? Oh
1: maybe. Maybe yeah, maybe. yeah. She of yeah. course
0: was Nienna originally the wife of, right, right, right. of Mando's um, right. before she became his sister. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, cause we have so many of these other characters to introduce. I mean, and some of these can be introduced back in season two
1: in passing. They could be, you Yeah, know, and then the question is going to be, do we want to have a little bit more development of character right. in episodes? And, you know, there's, we can, uh, you know we could come up with story lines that involve of course more than one i mean right
0: right, right. Yeah, exactly. So if we, if we think about doing another episode to sort of be, you know, some of the, we don't have to do the full cast in season two, of course, or in episode two, rather. Episode two can be really focused on the major players, um, so that we make sure that people, cause, you know, we're going to be doing primarily, um, you know, uh, uh Manway and Varda and Melkor and, uh, you know, and Olmo and Aule and Yavanna, like the, the, the really big, m- most major ones, Tolkus' arrival. Um, you know, and then when we get into Valinor, we can have some sort of subplots to right. get us more involved right. with the more minor characters like Lorien and Mundos and, um, right. uh, a little bit more on Nienna. This is where we can bring in some of the, um, uh, some, you know, more of the Aulay, you know, the, the, the Astari Aule and, or the, the Astari Maiar and, um, and, uh, uh, Melian and, um, you know those uh those kinds of people. So so the focus here is again to show the rest of the Valar um, and some of the Maiar. Then we we would need to have in that context. Then the rebellion of Ase would be an episode, um, and then his repentance. And we could do. Um, we could split Aule and Yavana into two different um actually I kind of like that. I, I do too. Of, I kind of I like think,
1: that. I think uh I think uh doing them both in one is short changing both of them.
0: Yeah. Because the other thing that we can do um uh Yavana, yeah, that's exactly it. Um uh The other thing that we can do here is remember Yavanna going about Middle-earth, which is left in darkness, and, you know, sort of putting asleep sleep on things and trying to preserve things and Melkor trying to corrupt things. Showing Yavanna and Orame, both of them, in Middle-earth is something that could yes. come in here yes, yes, into yes, this yes. episode as well. Um, and that, of course, helps to set up the coming of the Firstborn. It helps to set up the arrival of Orome right. um, at Quivienin, um and to lay the f- groundwork for the war, because that then segues into f- the anticipation of the Firstborn that, that we need to go to war, and then they do go right. to war.
1: I was just going to say that the 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 the, fort, the building and fortification of Valinor, from that point on, we could be leading. We could be uh, uh, bring in the the uh, anticipation of the Firstborn. For like the so that'd be like mainly the second half of the season or slightly less than the second half of the season could become a more stronger and stronger and stronger for, focus as we go on to the anticipation of the firstborn that leads to finally the decision to go to war etc.
0: yeah, yeah um yeah, yeah, yeah no we could do that uh, Robert ah, I, I thank you for bringing that up. I meant to talk about that, but I had forgotten what about Makar and Mayase? okay so these are these are uh these are um uh valar who hit the cutting room floor for tolkien uh in the book of lost tales there was uh, Makar and and his wife measa were the the valar of war um they 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 were they were in charge of they were like the battle gods and they were always a little sketchy um, i mean there's they' they they just you know they they delight in in not just in in feats of strength and wrestling and things like Tolkien does but actually in killing in in battle and 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 uh, uh you know the uh the the slain on the battlefield and everything else they're 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 all about that um that you know they were they get they get taken out right uh, 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 tolkien cuts them but it would be interesting to have them there. They could also be, um, you know, Robert's point was they too, like Ase, could rebel and go over to Melkor, but unlike Ase, they don't come back. Um, so we could see, um, you know, so having, having Makar and Mease becoming Figures, then. I mean, we could, we could, we could maintain. They don't have to be Valar. They don't have to have quite that stature. We could kind of demote them to to sort of Maya status. Um, but they could be, you know, the uh, the 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 little spirit of war in battle, um, whom basically become like the generals of Melkor's armies. Uh, uh, well, moving and now forward, that
1: raises a question for me. I mean, are we? There has I mean, the way we've laid it out so far, it looks to me like there's actually not war and battle until episode 13. Yes. Are we going to be seeing... We're not going to be seeing any real, like, warfare or fighting. No. Maybe barring. No. You know. And I but, think
0: this is... This... this Part of the trend, it seems, uh, in Tolkien... I mean, I, I, I don't want to say... This is obviously why Tolkien cut them out, because I have no idea exactly why he cut them out. But... The consequence of cutting them out is that in the later versions, the Valar are all about peace, right? You know, the Valar right. there in have conception of war. In exactly. Like, it's clear that without Melkor, war wouldn't have happened at all, whereas in the initial right. conception um, uh, 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 in the Book of Lost Tales, the concept of war and warfare is part of the It's part of it from the beginning. And so even the Valar at peace have that spirit of battle among them. And that's, you know, so Tolkien seems to have gotten rid of that. Um, You know, we we can choose how we depict them. We don't have to have... Uh, them, you know, being like, yes, we love killing things, and the rest of the Valar are kind of looking out of the corner of, that, of their eye and creeping up. That
1: personality feisty. They'll have red right. hair.
0: Right. They'll have red hair. They'll be all feisty because we like stereotypes. They, 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 they could be all feisty. And of
1: uh, course, I do realize before anybody says it that I know that they don't have human form at this point. Right. The Valor, exactly. What exactly. It, which is going to be kind of an interesting thing for a whole entire season. But okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, Tim Mott likes this uh, this great pot arc that we end the first season with the first war and the implication that Middle Earth will now be a place of strife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, and uh, and yeah, so basically, seeing them win, you know, these spirits of these spirits of of, of I mean, they could basically be uh, how about this? They could be like Maiar of Tolkas, basically who um Ooh, yeah. who get and then you know b- they get put in charge of, of 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 battle and war under melkor and they're like oh yeah no this is what we really like this is you know so we see that that desire for battle that joy in battle that delight in slaying things is a corruption of a good impulse of which tulkas is sort of the ultimate expression of that good impulse um right but uh, anyway that's that's uh that's um That's, yeah. Uh, Oh, uh, Tom, you've got it. Okay, hang on a second. Tom has, um, uh, Tom has just named, given the, 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 the first title to episode 13, The War to Begin All Wars. Ooh, I like that title. Um, yeah, yeah, it's an excellent, that's an excellent episode. What a
1: great final episode.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: I'll get, I'll get the uh, promotion department working on that right
0: away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, I think this is, I think this is workable. Obviously there's a lot of plot to refine, but that's what the next six months are for. Um, you know, we can, we can work, it. but I think that this shape will work. We can definitely see the kind of, uh, you know, some, some, some over, you know, the, the central drama, obviously, of, of, uh, you know, the, the central plot uh, arc and, and drama of season one, obviously, is, is, is Melkor, right? And, uh, not just Melkor's fall, but Melkor and the Valar, you know, going from, um, you know, their, their brother in the music at the very beginning, um, and which we see a glimpse of also in episode three, down to his attempt to kind of come among them and bring them over to his way of thinking and the tension that, you know, merges going first to open conflict at the destruction of the lamps, and then ev- eventually to, uh, all out war and his imprisonment at the end of the, at the end of the episode. So, um...
1: Now, yeah. we, we are a little over time and you have to run off to another thing, but I did I do. want to set up for next week. Yes. So given the change that we have, and I'll put the question up as usual on the discussion board, but be thinking of the frame narrative, but here's here's the structure of the frame narrative. It's about Aragorn. Yes. I, I don't know that we want to say any more about that. I mean, Corey and I definitely have some ideas. No, yeah,
0: I, we, we can't get to, we do have some ideas, but it's going to be, it's going to be, uh, we, we decided last week, last, well, last week, <clears throat> four weeks ago, we decided last episode that it's going to be Aragorn and it's going to be juvenile Aragorn in Rivendell, and that a lot of this stuff is going to be presented to him in the context of sort of his education in the House of Elrond. Be thinking about that. We're going to we're going to develop that frame a little bit more, um, a lot more really. Think about the story of Aragorn that we want to tell. Um, reading for next time. Um, review Appendix A. Review the review the Aragorn story, and in in particular the um, the the beginning. Portions of the Aragorn and Arwen stories. It's depicted in in in, uh, in Appendix A, um, so that we can make sure we're on top of where Aragorn actually is at that point. It would also be good to review the um, the Tale of Years to review Appendix B. Again, just to make sure that we know where Aragorn is and where Aragorn's life is in connection with the rest of the history of the Third Age of Middle-Earth, so that we all know for sure what has happened and what hasn't happened and what's going on there. So. So that's what we will be talking about next time. Um, Think so. Think about cast of characters. Uh, You know, we we can't. We've got to keep the frame simple because we can't. We're not going to have whole full episodes on on this. So we we. I think one thing we're going to need to do is limit the characters that are involved. But but you know, whom would you want to be involved?
1: And I do think you know. I think one of the things we can kind of talk about that I think is pertinent is the fact that expect that the first episode would have more of the frame narrative in it than any other episode, probably ever, actually. Yes. Because, as we agreed, we don't want this to be cheesy. We want there to be a story arc. There needs to be something, you know, of substance in the narrative. So, it, that has to be set up. So, again, back to my, you know, my advocating a two-hour episode and also a fair amount of narrative frame in the first episode.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, that's what we're thinking about for next time. I think this will this will work as a, a as an outline to go on with. And, uh, um, and, uh, we can, we'll, we'll be, of course, we'll be refining this as we go forward. And then next week, next time we'll have Dave back and he'll probably disagree with everything that we've said. So, um, so, so won't that be fun? Um, uh, okay, all right. So everyone's clear on where we're going, and then after that, we'll just we'll jump straight in, and we'll we'll do uh, then finally, finally, everyone's suggestions about doing the Ina Lindley and how we're going to depict the music and how we're going to integrate that into episode one of season one is going to. We will finally have that discussion four weeks from today. Um. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for all of your suggestion. I think this is uh, this is this is shaping out. Uh, to be pretty good, I think. And, and, and I would just want to like offer a brief reflection. Not the, notice the kind of discussions we we're able to have today, the, the sort of the way that we we're kind of able to get into, especially the way we we're kind of get into Melkor's head. What does the fall of Melkor mean? You know, why did Melkor fall and what could be his rationale? How does that fit within the general story that we see Tolkien telling? Not only in the Silmarillion, but in the rest of his works. How does it fit with Tolkien's themes and, and all of this stuff? These are the kinds of the kind of ideas, the kinds of discussions, the kinds of thinking through that doing an adaptation gives us a chance to sort of prompts us to do. Um, I have never really spent so much time thinking about Melkor and what was going on in Melkor's head and why Melkor might have fallen and how we can understand that. Um, uh, you know, I've, 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 never thought so deeply about that as I have today in thinking through this. And I, I just, I, I hope that everyone is able to sort of embrace this as, uh, as really kind of the central fun of doing this project. Cause it really, I hope, will enable us to go deeper inside not only Tolkien's story in the Silmarillion, but really deeper inside Tolkien's, uh, Tolkien's world and, and ideas than we've ever been before. So, uh, and also, of course, it's going to be harder for you to forget these events after we've gone through them all. You know, you, you guys will know the events of the Silmarillion backwards and forwards. Uh, oh, you'll uh, become so, this, so popular
1: or so unpopular among your friends. <laughs>
0: exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, so very cool. All right. Excellent. Oh, there was so,
1: something I was going to say. Oh, oh yeah. And uh, if you don't know this already, Megan Frame is our scribe. She's been taking copious notes all episode. So when we post, um, We'll be po- we post those notes as a as a post on the Mythgard site when we announce the um, the um, uh, you know the, the release of the audio episode of this, and they'll also be on the site. Um, there'll be a link to them on the on the Selm Film, Film site as well. So just right. if, for you guys to know, Right. so you don't have to take notes, it should be all there.
0: Yeah, excellent. Yes, good. So you can you can get access written notes uh, from our from our discussions as well for those who would like to have something in writing as well. Um, as merely the audio artifact of our episode. Right. Thanks very much. Thanks everybody for joining us. I look forward to uh, talking about Aragorn and the frame. That's going to be so much fun to be thinking about how these things go together. Having established the shape of our central Silmarillion story, how do we shape the frame story to interact with that and frame that is going to be a really, really fun um a uh, project i think so i'm 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 glad we're going to uh, dedicate a whole episode to that now it should be really cool so thanks very much everybody appreciate it thanks for listening and godspeed